Hey everyone, it's EJ here. This is a Fire 2 on Air conversation with Sam McDonald, Sam the Kiwi, um, who, as well as being a very nice man from New Zealand, is a game designer. Um, designed some from... I haven't played any yet, I really want to, but what look and based on some of the reviews look like really cool games um so we we're talking about um his games and then also a bit about his opinion of terra mystica um and coming at it from a game designer perspective uh and then we also talk uh at a reasonable length about some things called cursed problems of game design um which is really interesting. I had a lot of fun in this conversation. It's quite long. Um, so forgive me for that. Um, so this is Sam talking to myself, EJ and Superchani. Enjoy. How's it going, Sam? Uh, I hope it's a nice morning out there. Oh, it's it's grey and windy. You wouldn't expect anything different in Wellington, so it's it's good. So you're in Wellington. So Wellington is on the North Island. Yeah, it's the it's the southern tip of the North Island. We're the capital city. Um, we probably have the best coffee in the world. Oh. So there's that. It's just like one of those hipster cities. You know what I mean? Yes. Is is it like Melbourne? at all yes it's it's quite similar to melbourne i mean it's smaller but uh the just the restaurants per capita is insane like there's only three hundred thousand people that live here but there's thousands of restaurants and cafes oh it sounds a great i really well this is part of this conversation is can we all come to new zealand and play terra mystica with you one day because i really want to go to new zealand i think i want to live in new zealand more to be honest yeah, it's a it's a great place to live, and if you guys came out, I would you know be able to host you at my place. Um, we oh. have we have one convention that has over a thousand people, and that might not even be a room at Gen Con, but <laughs> it, it's it's good fun, you know. There's a there's a small but dedicated uh, board game following here. Ah, oh, that's so cool, and it is you know it is Terra Mystica, New Zealand, right? It's Lord of the Rings, it's Terra Mystica. It's the real place. Right. Yes. I mean, we actually have halflings walking around here all the time, you know. <laughs> we have to send them back into their holes. Uh, there is Hobbiton, which um, they demolished after the Lord of the Rings movies, but they, they, they made did. it for the Hobbit movies. And they decided when they remade them for the Hobbit movies that they would make them in such a way that they could last. And I've been to Hobbiton, and it was incredible. There were There were so many little Hobbit homes that were just out in the distance that no one would ever walk to just so that it feels like a real village. Like, I was surprised that there uh, weren't actually hobbits walking around. Um, the level of detail was amazing. And we actually got to go to the, is it the Green Dragon Inn? Like, the actual inn that the hobbits yeah. drink ale in and they sort of dance around and stuff. We got to have a cider or a beer there. So it was pretty rad. If you come to New Zealand, I would recommend that. I would love to come to New Zealand one day. I yeah, I do, it's on my it's on my list of places right. to go for sure. Um, we went to Australia a few years ago, but I want to 
get to New Zealand. I don't know why anyone would ever go to Australia. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we have this rivalry, if you don't know. We have this rivalry, New Zealand and Australia. Um, we've just got a chip in our shoulder, you know. So, <laughs> Yeah, because that's the thing is you say New Zealand and I bring up Australia and like it's the same place, but they are not the same place, right? They're yeah, very we put far the apart. Mm's, the we put the ns in Anzac. They only they only add the a. We contribute the nz to Anzac. I don't know if you've heard of Anzac. It's like the the combination of our armies. Um, but there's actually a really nice biscuit called the Anzac biscuit or Anzac cookies, and they're really good. But the nz is the New Zealand part. Um, well, yeah, maybe we'll maybe one day we'll come. We'll manage to come once pandemic is over and stuff but in the meantime we can talk through the magic of discord absolutely uh, unfortunately our government is like i mean they're doing a great job i don't want to talk politics too much but it just it's really hard for people to come and visit new zealand like anyone who yeah, comes right. is going to have to spend two weeks in quarantine and they're going to have to fund that hotel stay which is you know three grand or something like that so You've got to have to add two weeks to your trip and an extra three grand to even come here. Um, so it's not the most appealing place to visit currently. Uh, but what I think is likely is I, I might come over to Essen and, you know, we could meet up at Essen, some of the Terra Mystica people, the Europeans at least. Not, not this year, but maybe in future years. Or, um, or Gen Con for the Americans, I'm trying to hit some conventions more. So that should be heaps of fun. Cool, cool. Um, so yeah, I guess we should say you are Sam the Kiwi, Sam McDonald, and as well as being a, a Terra Mystica fan and friend of the community, you are a game designer, a full-time professional game designer, right? Yeah, that's correct. I don't know about professional, but I guess according to what <laughs> professional actually means, that it's my full-time job. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a game designer. I've been doing it for about four or five years. Um, and only in the past year, I've been doing it full time. So it's uh, it's such a blessing to be able to do this. It's heaps of fun. Mm. So yeah, so I, I I wanted to talk to you to kind of yeah, as I've said to you, to get your sort of first of all talk about game design generally. Uh, it's not something I'm that familiar with because as we spoke before when we were talking on that game the other day. This is all, I'm like new to games and I, I don't know much about it. So it's all very interesting for me. But then also to get your your sort of game designer slant on Terra Mystica and, and competitive Terra Mystica play and stuff like that. So um, thank you very much for giving us your time. I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. There's a few things I need to say. One is that I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert game designer. And I'm definitely not an expert Terra Mystica player. I, I think I have the distinct privilege of being the lowest rated, the worst Terra Mystica player to be on this podcast. So it really <laughs> is an honor to be here. <laughs> yeah, but I think, I also think that's, I think it, and I'm, sh I'm sure this is something you think about, is games have to cater for not just experts, not just beginners. And I think that's something that that's something that Terra does very well. Is it it like it appeals to the broad spectrum of skill levels? I think. Um, but yeah, like everyone needs to enjoy games, and you can't get good without enjoying them as a beginner. Absolutely, yeah, spot on. Um, 
So I guess the first question is, what games have you designed and published? That's the most important thing. Yeah, so I've got I've got four published games currently, um, and three of them were co-designed with my friend Shem Phillips. He designed uh, Raiders of the North Sea before I started designing, and that was nominated for the Kinnespielder Jahr. Um, apologize my German, uh, but that's basically like the um, connoisseur's game of the year over in 2015 or 2016. He made it to the top three alongside Terraforming Mars and Exit, the unlock game, the escape room games. Exit actually ended up winning that year, but he was in the top three, which was just amazing for his own, you know, uh, the, the growth of his business, really. And it gave him a lot of exposure and he sold a lot of copies of Raiders of the North Sea. And I was actually in a band with Shem at the time. So I was playing drums, he was playing guitar. Um, <laughs> I, I, I playtested some of his games and I, I liked games, but I wasn't really into the board game hobby. You know, I wasn't actually buying myself board games for my own collection. I was just playing some of Shem's stuff. And when I played Raiders, it's this Viking worker placement game. Um, my mind was blown. Like I hadn't played these kind of modern Euro style board games before. And this one was incredibly well-designed and polished. And yeah, it, it just blew my mind as to, oh, wow, board games can do this. They can actually be this much fun and there can be this <laughs> much strategy and theme just popping out and my decisions matter. And I've got a whole bunch of choices, you know. Um, mm. So that was pretty amazing that my friend had designed that. And long story short, I actually got into board games and I started buying my own games and I started watching lots of videos about board games as everyone does once they get into the hobby they just start buying all these games that maybe they don't even get to play because they don't might not have the friends to play them with yet but uh anyway there's there was a game that a design came to hit came to my mind and it was this idea of um placing workers and there's a lot of worker placement games you know agricola caverna um lords of Waterdeep, but they often do similar things where you place a worker and you block that location. No one else can take that action. I guess that's the, the definition of worker placement. So them doing the same mm -hmm. thing is perfectly acceptable. But I, I had this idea, well, what if, what if I could capture your workers? What if I could take them away from that location and then you know, send them to prison? And this sounds like a quite, quite interactive. It sounds quite mean, but... Um, Coupled alongside that idea was this idea of worker investment. What if on my turn, all I was doing was placing a worker at a location and the more workers that I've got there, the more powerful the actions become. If I place a worker at the forest, I'll get one wood. But the next time, because I've already got a worker there, I'll get two wood and then three wood and then four, four wood and it just snowballs like crazy. And if you couple that with the capture mechanism where someone says, no, enough is enough. I'm rounding up your people. I'm going to send them off to jail. That's going to be the natural slowdown of people's ramp. Um, mm. So that stops them getting really, really greedy at the forest or the mines because they know that eventually someone's going to come along and capture them and they get compensated with silver for sending them off to, to prison. They get paid the ransom. And, and this was basically the beginnings of what is now called, and I'm finally going to answer your question, um, <laughs> Architects, of, Architects of the West Kingdom, hey. which is set in uh, medieval France. 
And I mean, there's a lot more going on. You're building buildings, you're assembling a crew of apprentices. Um, there's quite a bit of engine building. Um, there's like this black market system where you could lose your virtue. You've got virtue, this virtue track, and um, it sort of attracts your reputation. And if you build mm-hmm. the cathedral, your, your reputation grows. But if, you, if your reputation or your virtue is too high, you can't visit the black market anymore because you're known as a goody two-shoes. Um, oh, but if your reputation cool. is, yeah, if your reputation is really, really low, then you just start skimping out on taxes. You actually pay less coins for everything because you're a bad guy. You, you just don't pay the government. So you're, you're not paying taxes, but at the end of the game, you're going to lose points, but you might actually, you know, you might sit at the bottom for most of the game and then do this mad rush at the end of the game to get back up the virtue track. Um, so, so anyway, that's probably enough time on Architects of the West Kingdom. That is currently in the Board Game Geek Top 100. I think it's around um, the 80th position or something. So 81, yeah, just got it now, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, good on you. That was my first game design, and I was just blown away by the reception it received, I guess. Um, and that sort of launched this combination between Shem and I uh, designing games. and that was the start of the West Kingdom trilogy, and we have since designed two more games in that trilogy as well, which are all centered in uh, medieval France, and they sort of follow the story of you first build the city and architects, and then um, with paladins, you've got people, outsiders, invading the city, and you sort of need to defend the city because it is now more known and it's more worth attacking for, for outsiders. And then in the third game, it's more about political intrigue. So the king is starting to wane in power and there's a lot of posturing and positioning yourself to be maybe the next in line or the the, the trusted person who will carry the West Kingdom out of these dark ages. And so, yeah, so that's the trilogy. That's Architects of the West Kingdom and then Paladins of the West Kingdom, which is also in the Board Game Geek Top 100. And then Viscounts of the West Kingdom, which was the um, most recent release. And that's sitting somewhere in the board game get top 200. So it, it might also break into the top 100 at some point. We will see. <laughs> Not that that matters too much, but just to let you know sort of how these games have been received. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I... I, I... So I, I will be honest, I have not had the pleasure, but I have an excuse because I'm new to all this. Are, are, you, are you familiar with them at all, Super, or are you? No, I'm just them? Googling them up. And <laughs> yeah, uh, they look actually very, very nice. Uh, the art have... is really great. Yeah, yeah, lovely. I love all of the card design. And also, you mentioned the game Raiders of the North Sea. They have very similar card design. Um, yeah. So, it's the same artist. It's a guy yeah. called um, Mihailo Dmitrievsky, but we just call him the Miko or the Micho instead. And and you've <laughs> got to love someone whose name is the Miko. You know, like the the is really sure. cool. Uh, he's he's such a character. He he's from uh, North Macedonia, and he's just been doing our art for the last few years. And I think Shem found him on DeviantArt, and he saw some. Uh, Viking pictures that he had drawn, and he does some really cool, like Lord of the Rings impressions. And Shem and Miko have just been working together ever since. And now, because of Shem, really, because of Shem finding him, Miko is basically full time doing art for a whole bunch of different games, not just our games. He's become really, really popular because um, 
the the character art he does so interesting because some of the people actually just look kind of ugly they've got kind of wonky noses and like sort of bung eyes and lots of things like that but you look at them and you feel like you know them you sort of feel like you know their story you know who they are they they Mm. seem familiar and Mm. and that sort of brings the theme out a whole bunch more so he does a really cool job that I can yeah, see that. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking now. Yeah, they're they're really great. Oh, I love it. It's great. Uh, sorry, I'm just looking at the uh, viscounts of the uh, West Kingdom, and in the Google Images, and I gotta admit, no other bird. It's the first time I'm seeing this, but no other bird game has drawn my attention in terms of you know how it looks, uh, the aesthetics, and this kind of stuff. It just, I, I'm just looking at it, and I want to play it right now. I mean, I've never, I've never yeah. seen anything like that. There's so many different things here. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Viscounts has got this sort of like, at the center of the table, there's this kind of, it's the main board, but it's like decagon shaped. It's like a yeah. sort of like oh, a circle. Yeah. And there's a, there's a castle in the middle, which is a tiered castle. There's sort of the, it's a circular castle, which is tiered. And there's little kind of like uh, turrets on the, on the castle. And um, there's this rondelle where you're moving your big wooden piece, which is a horse who's got holding a flag for your your I guess it's your noble house sort of thing. Mm. And you're and you're you're roaming around the city, um, taking actions. And it's a, it's a deck building game, but there's so much going on. Um, and and the townsfolk that you are to recruit that would basically add to your deck, they are stationed on the board. So actually, where you are determines who you can recruit so it adds Mm. that extra layer if you've played deck building games it adds the extra layer of um like adjacency and where your position is matters so it's you actually have to go out and talk to the person and find the person to to recruit them um and you can build a whole bunch of buildings there's there's a um, system kind of similar to terra mystica where you build your buildings and your um upgrading your player board so you're revealing bonuses underneath those buildings which let you do a whole bunch of different things um and you're transcribing manuscripts and you're sending your workers into the castle which is the sort of like area control game in the very center of the board um there's a there's quite a bit going on in it but uh it's it's a really fun game if i can say so (laughs) it's got quite it's got quite a striking table presence as well you sort of walk past and you're like wow i haven't seen something like that before kind of unique. yeah exactly. great is um is there any is there any of them that you're most proud of or do you love them all equally yeah which which one of the three is your favorite oh wow okay uh so the thing is we we create expansions uh for these games now and all of them have got one of them's got one expansion paladins has one Paladins is the second game. It's really, really meaty. It's probably what we would say the heaviest game. Um, there, there's a lot of layers to consider, and there's a lot of strategizing. Um, and we've just added one expansion to that game because that's all it needs. <laughs> Anything more would just bloat the game too much. Some would say it's already bloated. Um, but the other games have two expansions. And why, and why this is hard is my favorite sort of changes <laughs> based on what I played most recently or, you know, which expansion I'm liking more at the moment, um, the way that they change up the games. Um, so I'm probably most proud of Viscounts just because I think it does things in quite a unique way. 
um, there are lots of familiar mechanisms, but they are sort of fresh takes on those mechanisms. The way that we implemented deck building and you've got this sort of rolling tableau of cards that sort of slide off your player board and, and trigger different effects when you play them down or when they drop off or while they're in your tableau. I think that's um, it's a really cool feat of game design. But in terms mm-hmm. of like fun, just going back to the first one, Architects of the West Kingdom, I still enjoy playing it after hundreds and hundreds of plays. And, and that's because there's so much player interaction. Um, and by now there are lots of different abilities, lots of different apprentices that you can recruit that any one, any two games, you won't have the, you know, the same strategy. There's just going to be so many different options out there. And so it's quite a, um, it's quite a sandboxy game. Once you add the expansions, there are so many different paths that you can explore. So I don't know. I'm just going to, I'm just going to cop out and say, they're all my babies and I love them all. (laughs) (laughs) And, and cause yeah, I'm, I'm keen to give them a try. Is there any recommended in point is it best to start with architects as the first of the yeah series, yeah i'd say i'd say it, it probably doesn't matter um now to new gamers people that haven't really played board games before i would say start with architects because it's um the most rules light there are still a lot of rules but it's the easiest to jump in and do well um but you've played terra mystica so like you know you could you could jump in on any of them i would say Paladins would be the most similar to Terra Mystica. It's it's a round based game um, where players keep taking actions until they've run out of resources or you know they pass. Um, mm-hmm. Paladins, is, yeah, it's quite strategic. There is also that kind of like upgrading and improving your board mechanism. Um, Architects is great if you've got four or five players and you can play with a whole bunch of different people. Like you could play with your family, you could play with people who are board game adjacent the sorts of people that will play games but that won't buy them um Ooh, yeah that's and good. then that's good and then work your way up to viscounts which is just like a unique beast that is really weird in the first game you'll be like what am i supposed to do but after a few plays it will become clearer love it i uh, yeah i'm excited to give it a go now uh and yeah, they're all yeah. Presume they're all available. And and also, you just had a Kickstarter funded for an expansion to, uh, I've got it here to Architects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's cool. That's yeah, just been funded, right? Yeah, it has. I was really, I was really blessed by that. Um, it's it's still selling really well. Um, and people still enjoy the game. So we got to expand it, which is always great as a designer. I know there are some people, some curmudgeons out there who who don't like games being expanded upon, and you know that's fine. They just don't need to buy the expansion. But I love mm. I love getting the chance to, because with game design we design these games, we play them, and we enjoy them, and then once they once there's a finished product, you kind of move on, and mm-hmm. you start because there's there there are other games to design and other games to play, and you move on. And designing an expansion is a chance to to revisit <laughs> a chance to get to enjoy playing the game again really it's an excuse to keep playing the game and yes you're adding new systems and new cards and things like that but we just get to play it again and it's nice to come back to that to that old ground i guess yeah th- there's certainly an art to a good expansion i guess right like yeah sort of adding stuff without and changing what was there already but without changing it too much maybe that you sort of yeah you 
sort of ruin what was built already. And yeah, I find the Terra yeah. expansions really interesting in that, in terms of yeah, how well they integrate with the original game. We just played, I just played Merchants with Ghostly down in London the other week, and that was really interesting to see that. So that was the first time I played that. Oh yeah, I, what I love about Merchants, and I think there are people also who don't like it, but what I love is it adds those there's those four new favor tiles which all of a sudden yeah. now that spices up with the decisions that you're going to make when you build that temple because because it's not known what are the best ones what are the the good ones and you have to sort of rediscover what's strong like i get one ship income each round that seems good yeah if i get if i get this i can't get the other water one i can't get the three vp for you know upgrading into trading posts what's yeah. better i don't know but i'm going to experiment and it lets people kind of rediscover and re find out what's good again um and it adds that that new yeah that spice to the to those decisions it also allows someone who has been kind of locked out of the ground game maybe they they lost that key hex that they really needed they can just they can just explore a different avenue okay i'm going to build my shipyard and i'm just going to go sending these boats everywhere and, and get points that way and we'll see how we go you know yeah, because Swistak was playing Chaos Magicians, and there was a he like he put his his dwelling in the middle, and there it was one of those things where he could have he was like close to getting captured and hemmed in, but then we were like, oh wait, he can just build a boat and sail away to an entirely new place and and start afresh if he wants to. We can't stop him. Yeah, and there's kind of this like thematic flourish with that, right? You start telling the story of that lone chaos magician who got on the <laughs> yeah. boat and started yeah, up a yeah. new settlement down the down the on the other shore you know yeah for sure for sure is any of your games uh digitalized or are they coming to the board game arena oh that's a great question i don't know how much i'm gonna i can say but i'm just gonna say it <laughs> oh an exclusive well okay so we because of Terra Mystica, I really got into Board Game Arena. Uh, well, actually just Terra Mystica. But I just thought, well, this platform's amazing. Why don't we get our games on here? And I spoke to Shem, who is my co-designer, and he's also the owner of Garfield Games, the business. So he's the publisher too. And I said, hey, have you heard of Board Game Arena? And he said, oh, yeah, they emailed me about three years ago, and I wasn't that interested. <laughs> and I was like, what? But I, th I think it's gone through a little bit of a boom since then. Um, and it's grown. It's only kind of grown. And I said, can we get our games on there? And I didn't really understand the process. So I, he said, yep, okay. See if you can sort of sort it out. And so I did a bit of reading. And what I did is I gave whoever it would be to whoever it would be that would develop it. I gave them access to two or three of our games. Um, now they need to get in contact with me if they want to make our games and ask for the art files and the assets and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of just put two or three of them up there and waited for someone to bite. <laughs> it's like fishing, you know, you put down ah. the hook. Is anyone going to take, take the hook? And maybe like maybe a month ago, a month or two ago, someone emailed me asking me for the files for architects. So all I know is that someone has asked for the files. So it could be in development. I have, haven't heard anything more. I would love to see them on, on board game arena, but it's kind of out of my control. Cool. And do you, and from a like business point of view, do you treat that? Are you like obviously? Well, okay. 
um, is it a shame that I've gone straight to the business? Because partly it's just cool that more people will get to see the games and get to play them. But then do you treat it more as like a potential source of revenue or is it a like it's it's more people will see the game and some of those people will likely go ahead and buy it to have the real life version and stuff like that? Yeah, that's a great question because you could take either of those avenues. Um, for us with Board Game Arena, we just said, hey, we want to provide a service to our fans, um, especially with lockdown and things like that. Fans is the wrong word. Uh, supporters? I don't know. Sorry, that just feels wrong. But to, to the people who enjoy our games, we want to give provide yeah, a service yeah. and just thank them for their support. Um, so we wanted to provide it for free. Um, with Board Game Arena, you can make it only available to premium players. Um, so or I think, you know, premium players have to start the game or create the room or something like that. But we said, now let's let's make it available for, for anyone for free. Um, so there won't be any revenue from Board Game Arena. But it also, as you said, it also allows for new people to discover these games. And, you know, if they like it, then maybe they'll buy them. So it's probably not terrible for business either. But, um, yeah, it's just an opportunity for people to play these games that they maybe they can't play um, in person at the moment or maybe they've got friends on uh, overseas you know they can play them together online and it's it's a really great format i mean mm. sometimes it improves games because you don't have to do all that bookkeeping and setup and all that sort of stuff also uh for example uh taking Troy mystic as, as an example right uh, if it hadn't been for the board game arena i'm not sure if we would have you know streamers uh fire to open international clash and other stuff that makes the uh, game more and more popular, you know, and it goes, it works not only on the board game arena users, but outside of it, people who like to, you know, watch them on the streams or wherever, right? Um, and that might also um, increase the um, number of people that like to try and buy it later, you know? Yeah, totally yeah. right. I'm convinced that, you know, Snellman and BGA have kept Terramistica alive. Not that would not that it would have died without those things. I think people would still enjoy it as a board game and stuff, but it's kept it so you know there's sure. such an active community here it's it's done done wonders for for the game we're still talking about it you know seven years is it something like seven years after release and yeah. you can't say that about many games. There's this cult of the new thing where when a game is three months old, people stop talking about it. The vast majority of games like it's just unreal it might be like 99 percent of games maybe even more there are about two or three games a year that get released that that become what's called an evergreen um so the fact that we are talking about terra mystica seven or eight years after release is is unreal it's amazing mm. and and do you hear much from people who who like play and love the um like the west kingdom games are you like aware of people playing it and you get like much feedback or like nice comments from people in particular yeah so we actually have our own um discord group um am i allowed to promote that yeah yeah of course yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. okay yeah so we've got our own discord group garfield games and i think there's about 1500 people on there um so we've got active forums and chats about all of the different games people talk strategy they post reviews um we have a bunch of playtesting signups as well for our 
our projects that are currently in the works so people can sort of play them before they're released and give us feedback and so that's going really well i think we only started the discord up maybe four months ago or something like that but it's just proved to be a great platform for getting in touch with people who enjoy our stuff um and you know they can also offer constructive feedback as well so it's been Mm. great and um and what are you working on now then are you working on that expansion currently for the um for the architects or is it something Uh, else so we've finished that yeah so it's interesting how we work because some publishers they they design like half a game or something and then they put it on kickstarter and they say hey we've got this idea for a game can mm-hmm. you fund it and and i think the funding covers like the future design um but what we do is we say we've got a completed game all we need now is to manufacture it so we actually finished that a while ago um so once we've finished with the West Kingdom trilogy, which we pretty much have, we've got a few more expansions to come out for for Viscounts. We're going to move to the south. We're doing another trilogy. So Shem's goal is to have a quadrilogy of trilogies. So he <laughs> did, yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. He did a Viking trilogy before I jumped on board, which was the North, and then we've done the West, and they're all set in the same era. It's sort of that Age of Empires too. So we've done the Vikings and we've done the Franks. And so now we're going to go south and east after that. Um, so we're working on this new new trilogy and we've actually designed the first and second game. So we're about a year and a half ahead of our release schedule. So we get to be like really picky and I get to be a perfectionist with all of the powers and we just get to play it over and over again because we are so far ahead. And And these games are they're all going to have this kind of mechanical hook, just like the West Kingdom has. uh, It's got like corruption and virtue as a theme throughout all the games. Are you going to be corrupt or are you going to be virtuous? Uh, This has has like a mechanical hook of dice, um, and we want to use dice in unique and interesting ways that hopefully, you know, people haven't done before, but in such a way that they're not frustrating and incredibly random because... Well, dice are inherently random, so that's a fun challenge for us to say, right, here's this little cube that causes so much frustration and so much excitement (laughs) at the same time. How can we use this that is just inherently flawed, this little cube, and use it in fun ways um, and new ways? So, yeah, all all of the games will have kind of weird and interesting takes on using dice, as well as... I'm not going to talk about the theme because we haven't actually announced what these games are going to be called yet. So hopefully we'll get to announce what they are soon. So I'm working on that at the moment. And then we also have, sorry, this might be overwhelming. It's a lot of stuff, but we also have another line of games, um, which is the Circadians line of games. The Circadians oh, yeah, line yeah, of yeah. games are sort of the science fiction style. It's, it's got a different style of art. It's done by Shem's brother, Sam Phillips who uh, who actually did some of my tattoos <laughs> so that's pretty cool um, oh, that's really cool <laughs> yeah so this is you know humans have got onto a spaceship who knows what happened with with earth they've called themselves the circadians because that refers to their circadian rhythm it reminds them of home you know the 24-hour cycle 
and yeah. they've gone out and they've found this planet which is just teeming with life and i would say they're aliens but we call them the locals because because we're the aliens and and we're trying to uh, negotiate with them we're trying to coexist alongside them and so the first game is called circadian's first light and it's this um euro style engine buildy resource management game and so that that was my sole design so it was my first design that i did all on my own and that came out two or three years ago and i have since been working on this beast of a project called circadian's chaos order which is the second game in that series um so we seem to do all our games in series i don't know if this will be a trilogy it's just the circadian's game you've got yeah you got another idea yeah. for it. Oh, awesome. and and circadian's chaos order i mean if i can talk about that for a bit because this is yeah go, go, go. My, yeah my my biggest game that i've designed it's uh, i i did it with a friend who who lives in italy so that was a can of worms in itself designing some something with someone who lives 12 hours away you know <laughs> mm. um well 12 not a 12 hour flight 12 hour time zone difference and um so we did that all digitally but this is like an asymmetric dudes on a map game what we call dudes on a map which is this kind of grand strategy battle game kind of like risk but modernized um this is what i would say for me is a perfect hybrid for my tastes of euro style elements so like you know resource gathering research engine building upgrades that sort of thing economy and a mirror trash so the kind of like fighting other people War like attacking games. yeah def yeah defending your land you know um holding lots of territories that sort of thing so it's got all of that and there's six playable factions and each of these factions have just incredibly different player boards kind of like terra mystica that level of asymmetry maybe a little bit more Ooh. and they each have their own unique win condition they each have a different oh. way that they can win the game which you can imagine is a nightmare to balance <laughs> yeah because <laughs> the yeah. way that they interact with each other affects the balance um but but also as well as that unique win condition what i think is quite cool about the game is there's also a global win condition a neutral one that anyone can win by so even if you're doing kind of quite badly on your own condition you can still come back and win on the, the the global way the neutral way that anyone can win by so this kind of ensures that that everyone is in the game till the end and it's kind of one of those games where you can't neglect the economy you can't neglect the engine building but you can't you also can't neglect the battles so you need to do well in both of those areas to to win the game you can't avoid either of them um, so that has been a project that we've been working on for about two and a half months and i'm really really pleased with how it's turned out it's about a three to three to four hour game so it's one of those kind of like saturday afternoon have a beer you know yeah, sit down yeah. for a while kind of thing um with mates and it's that kind of event game uh that oh. will be dropping on kickstarter uh in october now i'm not trying to take your money i'm just letting you know when it's going to be dropping <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i'm sure you can, yeah i'm sure everyone would be happy to hear when it does drop you can share it around with all the terror folks i'm sure they'd be interested to to see 
it's yeah it sounds the the game that me and ghostly are, are really looking forward to playing is eclipse it sounds a bit like that but then with like weird totally. like even more asymmetric and um yeah like different wind conditions yeah it's player. definitely the same genre as eclipse that's like that's spot on and we actually we actually took a bit of inspiration from eclipse as well there are a few things that it, i think it does really well um the way that it does the economy and the research it really matters in that game and it's cool that it's not just war um mm. and also mm. the way i don't know if you've played it but also the way that eclipse sort of compensates someone when they lose a fight is cool and we and we yes. kind of want one of those those soft edges um because it is a brutal battle game but we don't want players to feel super bad when they lose and one of our design goals was that um people can bounce back and you can lose several fights and still end up winning the game some of the battle games that i've played have been like you lose a fight in round one and you know that you just have no chance for the rest of the game and mm -hmm. circadian's chaos order isn't that there are fights in round one which is cool i want to encourage battles i want to encourage that interaction between the players uh but it's not do or die then you know so you've got time to bounce back you've got time to make a recovery oh sounds very interesting yeah sounds cool man oh um i've got a question maybe um a bit different to what we've um already talked about but uh, you've mentioned that you like uh, some of the parts of the eclipse um uh, and i was thinking that quite recently actually uh, I noticed that I very often enjoy particular uh, mechanics of games, not necessarily as as a whole, but you know I like to take a take a single part, single feature, and you know see. Um, and I noticed that I really like this one, you know. Uh, so, for example, in Terra Mystica, uh, my favorite part of the game uh, is not all, always the same that uh, I play heavily on it, but I like the concept of cults um, of those right. four elements and you know the priests. And this kind of stuff. I like the idea of moving up. Uh, it's probably simple, right? But are there many? Um, do you do you approach it the same way? I mean, do you, do you very often like particular features of games, and do you try to you know like um, not necessarily copy, but take all the good stuff from them? You know, particular uh, you know parts of games. Totally, man. I, I'm the same. So the cults is like. It's basically a research track. I mean, it doesn't actually improve your engine, but players just love advancing up tracks. And so we, <laughs> we implement that in a lot of our games. We actually have a, a cool way of doing that for Chaos Order. So um, each, of the, each of the five actions in the game has a corresponding track. And it, it's, done, it's done quite well because you're, you're placing these, these tokens to say that you're going to take this action. And then you look to the right and you see players advancing up the track. And that sort of tells them how strong they're going to be at any particular action. So, you know, it might be how much they can move when they're moving their troops or it's how many troops they can recruit when they're, recruit, um, when they're taking the recruit action. And you sort of want to advance up all of these tracks, kind of like you want to advance up all of the cults. Um, and it feels quite satisfying for players to do that. So, so your example is one of the things that I love too. I love advancing up tracks and not just victory tracks, victory point tracks, but right. you know, all things that actually matter during the game, not just at the end. Um, the other thing that I really like that, that some games have in, implemented and then we just try to put them in all of our games is multi-use cards. 
So multi-use cards mm-hmm. um, are cards that you can use in, in multiple ways. And often the ways that we do this is you can, um, it, it'll be a person probably, have artwork of a person, and you could either recruit, recruit this individual and they're going to permanently be with you and they're going to give you some benefit, kind of like a, what a favor tile does uh, mechanically in Terra Mystica. Mm-hmm. Or, or you can play the card or dismiss the card or send it away basically discard it and it for some other benefit and and what that does it means that kind of (laughs) in a funny way we can't we can't design a bad card (laughs) because if there's an ability that's bad you know um if recruiting this individual is never worthwhile i mean we don't want to do that but they're still they still might go because someone might dismiss them they might you know send them off and so it keeps these cards valuable from round one to round seven to round eight to the end of the game. Uh, you know, cause what you don't want is if you've got cards in a game sitting in there in this kind of tableau available for people to recruit, you don't want the same one sitting there the whole game. So you need to give them, giving them an extra use is quite mm. fun for that kind of rotation. It's quite fun for tactical plays versus strategic plays. So I might I might see that EJ really wants that card for his strategy. He might really want to recruit that particular individual. And I might say, I don't want to recruit him. But the way that I'm going to deny, deny it is I'm going to dismiss that individual instead. And I, mm. I love what that does to interaction, you know? Because c- can you imagine in Terra Mystica if you could... I'm not saying this would improve the game. I'm, I'm not saying that. But say, I don't want Earth 1 but I'm going to build a temple and take some action that dismisses earth one, gets me a whole bunch of coins or whatever, so mm. that you can't get it. That's what <laughs> multi-card, multi-use cards do. Oh, I love talking about this. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> this is so interesting. Um, you mentioned that you're working with someone from Europe, from Italy on this new game. And that, is something i was wondering about similarly is how like covid how the pandemic has influenced stuff with well both so one one aspect is like a remote working like remote cooperation aspect um but then also it was something we were talking about with potentially more solo modes coming into games or like how it influences what you design games to be now um yeah, how has it affected your work? Yeah, great question. Well, I've sort of only been full time since COVID. Um, mm. I was mm. I was working on games before then, but you know, it wasn't full time. It was sort of just a hobby. And just as a side, I hope it's still as a hobby. Like it, it's still a hobby for me to design games. I just get to do it full time, which is cool. Um, <laughs> but so, how has it affected? Um, for Architects of the West Kingdom, I as it was my first design, and all I had heard about was that some games allowed players to play them solitaire. Now, to be clear, that isn't my jam. Um, I love to play board games with people. Um, for me, that is where a lot of the fun is. Like, yes, the mechanisms of the game are fun, and that's what like kind of keeps you there, but and that's what kind of just determines if you're going to play that game or another game. But at the, at the end of the day, I want to have that experience with people. So this mm. isn't my preference, but 
I sort of considered it a design challenge, sort of something fun to challenge myself with. Can I, uh, can I make a solo mode for this game? And, and basically what, what that would entail would, um, can I design a deck of cards that somehow, it's sort of like an algorithm, um, controls a, a non-human player and sort of teaches them how to play the game and they end up being kind of like a, a worthy opponent so that someone else can can play the game. And what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to simulate all the areas of interaction in the game. So if I were designing a solo mode for Terra Mystica, what they would need to do was they would need to take power actions away from you. They would need to um they would need to compete on the cults. Um, because you know the points on the cults aren't set at certain values it's about where you are relative to other players um, yeah. they would need to compete on maybe the most important point of interaction is points so they would need to gain points somehow um, maybe it's just points at the end of the game but they would need to do that what else would they need to do they would need to take hexes away from you they would need yeah, to dig hexes. hexes yeah they would need to like upgrade next to you all those sorts of things. You want to simulate every area of interaction in the game so it still feels like you're playing the game, like it's still Terra Mystica. Um, it's like playing against a real opponent. Um, so I did this with Architects of the West Kingdom, and I actually, this isn't to brag, this is something that I sort of almost regret. I, um, I did this without having tried any other solo modes before because it's not <laughs> okay. my thing. And yeah, I just sure. like, just willy-nilly just assembled this deck of cards and it sort of worked. And I was like, okay, let's do this. And, and I showed Shem, um, my co-designer, and he was keen to put it in the game. And um, people actually quite enjoyed it. It was quite simple. Um, the bot, instead of making it like really, really smart like the the way to make a bot smart is to say like if if, if the, this you know yeah if yeah, this yeah. then do this otherwise do yeah. that so um maybe one example for terra mystica would be if your opponent has fewer than five coins take the coin action you know <laughs> that would yeah, be so frustrating yeah. if they yeah. have more than five coins oh it doesn't matter take a different action you know um so that's the way to make the bot smart. But I didn't make the architect's bot very smart. I just made it a big cheater. <laughs> and that <laughs> oh, kind of yeah, worked sure. as well, right? Just make it super strong, make it hard. Um, but we've sort of learned since then, we've played other solo modes and we've sort of improved our process quite a bit. For our later games, um, our, our bots are a little bit smarter. Um, and that's mostly down to Shem. He... He sort of followed the blueprint of how I just, how I made this this first bot for Architects, and you know, following the same kind of deck of cards that concept, and just slowly iterating and improving and making making them better for our future games, because he actually likes playing these games solo. So <laughs> I sort of just mm. design some of the solo mode and then I pass it off to him or pass it off to someone else to test it because I don't enjoy doing that too much. I want to test so, yeah, these games for people, you. not on my own. Yeah. Yeah, and and it, it, have you had? I guess you've had feedback from people who do play that and and appreciate them being in the games. I guess. Yeah, um, there's actually it's it's mind blowing how it's grown. To bring it back to COVID, it's mind blowing how solo gaming has grown immensely. We have people that only play our game solo, and they think that 
that's the best way to play them. <laughs> I don't know the if best. I agree. <laughs> I hope I hope that's not true, but there are people that really just enjoy the solo experience. And I think for them, it is a chance to escape. You know, you just, you set this game up on the table and you play, it's just you in the game for two hours. It's just this kind of nice break that they get to have and they can take as long as they like thinking over their decisions. You know, they're not playing bullet yeah, mode. Yeah, no pressure. Yeah. Yeah, there's no yeah. pressure. No one's saying, ah, is it your turn? Is it my turn? You know, and, um, and they get to sort of improve at the game as well. Solo modes, super. You play solo games. I, I don't really, to be honest. Not board games, definitely not. Hmm. Uh, but I have played one only once in my life, yeah. So well, I was really, really bored. <laughs> <laughs> I bought Scythe recently, and that, that comes with like the whole automa, automata, automa. And that just looks mad and complex. Yeah, no one, no one knows how to pronounce that. <laughs> I think I use a whole bunch of different pronunciations interchangeably. <laughs> um, oh yeah, and then this is the other thing you mentioned, Sam, and I had a look at it, but it was sort of your thing you were talking about is this cursed problems in game design, which seems ah, yes. interesting. Uh, sort of. Yeah, talk about it. Is and is there any way it relates to terror as well? Yes, I mean this is this is a conversation topic and a half. So we'll we'll get onto that. Um, where did you find it? You said you had a look into it. So I I hadn't heard of it until you mentioned it in advance of this conversation. It was not something I was familiar with, but I saw it. I I just googled it, and then I saw it. The stuff I saw was more related to video game design yeah. uh and then i sort of looks more into board game design aspects as well yeah so um this cursed problems is is not my own idea this was a, and i don't even know if it's like a a known thing that people talk about in the design scene it's just this person called alex jaffe who i don't know he works at riot games or he worked at riot games um and he gave a talk called The Cursed Problems of Game Design. And he articulated and, and gave a term to what I had already been thinking about and concepts that were in my head, but I hadn't actually, you know, described what they were, given, given them a definition. And he call, called it The Cursed Problems of Game Design. And so I've sort of just jumped on that. And, and I use that term because I think it's quite, quite a helpful way of looking at it. And, and what he says is that, there are these cursed problems that are in games that are everywhere when you start looking for them that no one has solved. And, and kind of the thing about them is that you can't solve them. It's a problem that is completely unsolvable. And, and it's this kind of, think of it like a coin. You've got two sides to the coin. You can't have a one-sided coin. And so on one side of the coin is all the good stuff. It's, it's the goal that you're trying to do with the, the game's design. It's an in-game goal or it's a, a player's feeling they have when they play or it's a, it's a mechanism that's good and enjoyable. But intrinsically linked to that thing that is good is a dark side. <laughs> and it's mm. the other side of the coin. It's this, it's this beauty spot, right? It's like this flaw that is attached to this amazing thing that you can't seem to get rid of the flaw. Um, 
and so he calls it the cursed problems of game design and so i'm just going to use that as i'm going to call them cursed problems that we cannot solve now what we can do is we can sort of limit their influence um we can sort of hide these problems away we can't get rid of them but we can sort of um diminish their effect or diminish their likelihood of rearing the ugly head um and and I'll, i'll give you an example um asymmetry is a cursed problem in game design um, yeah. so I'm going to first talk about why it's an amazing thing, okay? Because we need to talk about why it's an amazing thing and why I gravitate towards it. Asymmetry gives each player a unique power or a unique set of powers, ways that they can break the game's rules. Now, this is, a, this is awesome because a player is looking at this sheet, this board or whatever, and they say, wow, this is just for me. I feel special, you know? I get to do yeah. all of these cool things that you can't do and you can't do. And the other great thing is they look at your, the, the other players' boards and they say, oh, but I want to do that. Like, I want to have <laughs> that power. What? Well, that's OP or that's OP. And every player has this sort of fear and this jealousy towards the other players, and that's happening back to them. And that's, that's such a cool thing to have in the game. And what it does is it says to the player, um, well, after playing the game, they're like, I want to try out that faction and I want to try out that power and I want to try winning the game that way. And it, it makes them more likely to play the game again, which is, which is awesome. And you get that rush when you're packing down. You're like, I want to try that again next time. But you also get that rush when you're setting up, like you're looking through all these boards. I know I get it in Terra Mystica. Who am I going to play today? You know, that, that excitement of how I get to break the rules. Um, yeah. So, so this is a good thing. Asymmetry is a good thing. I don't think I need to explain any more why it's cool and why it's great. Now, it's a cursed problem because another good thing in board games is, is agency. And this is something that I love to put into my games, um, maybe even too much to the point that <laughs> they're bloated, but... I love to give players lots of choices where they can make decisions, where they feel like um, they can express creativity in the way that they choose to play the game. Um, that is such a cool thing for players to have. Like, if you can pick up new lines in Terra Mystica that that someone else hasn't done before, or not, not maybe not mm. done before, but you know, you get to express creativity in how you want to play the game. And you want those paths to to all be viable. Maybe not all game-winning paths, but you want them to be viable so that players can choose, right? Um, that is a really cool thing to put in your game because players have this sort of sense of ownership of the path that they've chosen. And that, to me, is exciting. Now, asymmetry and agency, this is where they, they do battle. This is where it's a cursed problem because with asymmetry... Basically, what you're doing is you're telling the player, the game designer is telling the player, here's what you should do. Here's how you break the rules. So, so for an example, um, Chaos Magicians, here's what you should do. You should build a temple because when you do that, you get two favor tiles. So yeah. when, when I see that, I, I, I pick up Chaos Magicians and I'm like, I'm not going to build my stronghold because the game designer is telling me to build a temple. I might eventually build a stronghold, maybe, but I'm going to build a temple. And so asymmetry actually takes away agency. Now, not to the point where we don't want asymmetry, 
but but it's a cursed problem because that's what it's going to do um now you can have things where so if you've played pandemic there's a there's a player power called the generalist now in pandemic you've got um you've got four action points per round and and one of the player powers is simply you've got five action points per round now that's such a general power that there is an element of asymmetry there but it's not taking away any agency such a general power Mm. what i find is that there isn't much scope to have that many general powers in in a game like there there aren't that many ways to give people general powers where they where it doesn't affect agency and the other thing is that that character the generalist that has one extra action point that's not the coolest character. Like it's a bit boring. I don't, yeah, it, it's boring. Yeah, yeah I don't want to play that. Interesting. So, <laughs> so we naturally want to have like the designer helping us out a little bit, and we still we do want that asymmetry and that unique paths that those unique paths that we can take. But there are some games that take this too far, and we we really see this um, this problem rearing its head. And I'm not actually going to mention names. I'm not going to mention names, but I've I've played games where it feels like the designer is playing this game for me, because you have to my, do yeah thing yeah yeah because my faction is so specified that I just must play it this way, and there's no other viable way of playing the game. And if we get there, then it's a problem. And I think um, that that's a curse problem. We can't fix that. But I think factions like nomads. I'll point them out as an example. This is Nomads disguise this problem really, really well. They're such a cool faction because you can, if there's if there's an early dwelling round, you can jump on temp shipping and you can do a dwelling rush. If there's an early temple round, you can build a temple or two. If there's a trading post round, you can jump on that trading post pastile and you can build three of them. You know, um, if mm. there's an early stronghold round, you can do that. And and each of these paths are viable and actually if there's an early temple round you could decide i'm not going to build the temples i'm going to build the stronghold or i'm going to take on the dwelling rush anyway and and i love that i love that a player can choose a line they still have this asymmetry if they start with the extra dwelling their stronghold does something unique you know their third trading post is different from other trading posts it's all of those all of those areas of asymmetry which means that they can take any of these lines and the player gets to express this creativity in the way that they they want to play the game so i think nomads nomads disguise this curse problem really really well but you know other factions don't and i don't think this is the designer's fault this is just inherently linked to asymmetry at at one point or another you're going to design a faction or a power that really does um you know take away agency from the player yeah yeah and it's just that trade-off of how yeah it's you a trade-off manage that and i guess it's in the play testing as well that you you have to sort of observe is is and that's the tricky thing about terror is they you have to do play testing to try and see how people end up playing these factions but then when people take this game and like really take it to a high level you can't really have anticipated that level of play and analysis in play testing and there's yeah there's an element of it being out of your hands a little bit yeah and you're you're totally right it trade-off is the right word and it's it's a flaw but it's a beautiful flaw and i would prefer have the flaw than not have it 
because I want that asymmetry, right? And I, I want all the good things that come with it. If it takes away, it's not taking away all agency. If it takes away some agency, that's just the price you pay for that floor. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And um, so I'm not saying that, like, I'm not saying that it sucks. <laughs> I'm just saying that it's a cursed problem that even even Terra Mystica doesn't fix, but it sort of disguises the problems in some some pretty cool ways. But yeah, like you say, in a way, that's what makes like that's why we play games is because they have these interesting things and they make you think about it otherwise we just all play chess or go or something and yeah not bother with these more yeah. interesting designs and that actually brings up another cursed problem if you want me to talk about that yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah go on. You, you're sure. mentioning you uh you mentioning chess and go so the other cursed well there's lots of cursed problems but another cursed problem is the question of who gets to win your game like as a game designer, who who wins? And our initial thought would be, right, the, the best player gets to win. Um but players want to win. Like that I don't know how much of the fun that is. It might be for me it might only be about ten, twenty percent. But for some people it might be as high as ninety, eighty or ninety percent of the fun is in winning. And I think every player, at least a portion of the fun comes from winning the game or having the chance of winning the game. Now, if our philosophy is the best player wins the game, then we've got something like chess. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Actually, this is really interesting. Actually, um, the best player is going to win every time. And all of a sudden, there are people that just don't want to play your game anymore because they don't have a chance at winning. Um, and what we have to do for a game like chess to be fun is we have to give players a rating. And that's basically like a pool that they're, they're, they can swim in. And they can only swim in that pool. And they have to face people who are at their level. Um, otherwise, it's just going to be a stomp in one or the other direction. And I'm not going to enjoy playing chess against a grandmaster. That's just something I don't want to play. Now, for chess, maybe that's okay because it's, in that sense, it's more of a sport than a game. Yeah, it's a different um, thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but for my games that I'm wanting to be a bit more mass market, as weird as that sounds, I know chess would sell way more than my games, but I'm wanting them to appeal to more people. Um, I don't want that. I don't want to give players a rating and say, you should only play with these players. Uh, so I want everyone to have a chance to win. But if I were to say that everyone has the same chance of winning, yeah, that's, that's also a problem as well because uh, now good play doesn't matter. <laughs> now we're at the the other well, one of the other three, one of the other yeah. There's three ways that players can win really, and one of them is just randomness. And um, now we're at something like snakes and ladders. If it's fully randomness that decides the game, then players' decisions don't matter at all. And yeah. uh, I talked a little bit about agency before. Now it's just rolling the dice and seeing who gets to win. And um, I might move on to a snake and lose, and you might move on to a ladder and win. And that's a problem also. So we get to this point where we think, okay, so we want the best player to win. Um, we want the best player to win more often than the worst player, but not every time, right? That's all it's right. Yeah. 
And so then there's the, the third way that you can decide who wins the game. And the third way isn't the player's strength or skill, and it's not chance or luck, but it's the table. The other players get to decide who wins the game. And, and this is what's often referred to as, as kingmaking, um, mm. where, you know, I'm holed, up in, I'm holed up in Australia and Super's got North Africa or, or Europe, and EJ has to decide, is he going to attack uh, Australia or is he going to attack Europe? And EJ isn't strong enough to win the game. He's sort of played a really poor game. But right now, his his decision of attacking Super or me might decide the winner of the game. And and that's and that's called kingmaking, right? That's right. that's when the the table decides who gets to win. Um, so each of these three ways of determining who wins the game are terribly flawed. And I don't want to play a game when they're the key factor. I don't want to play any game where that's the only factor. But what I want is a game that actually has all three. I want a little bit of all three of these. And yeah. so, so obviously the, the first one's really clear. Like we want the best player to, we want your, your own play to affect the result a little bit. Like we want good play to matter, right? <laughs> that, that's, that's fun that's rewarding right you want your good strategy to actually reward you well um so so that's kind of obvious well, what about the chance thing i think chance is one of those things that is actually re- and randomness one of those things that's actually really exciting in games um if that particular card comes into your hand or you know gets revealed in the texas hold'em flop or um that that one thing that is going to really help your strategy uh it comes up and you get it or you roll that six and you would have lost on the one to five but you roll the six and you get the win that is exciting and that actually creates really cool moments and i know that we can sort of turn our nose up at randomness but randomness has been um in games for so long and it does create these moments these endorphin rushes um that players really, really enjoy. Now, the problem is when we have too much of that, when it tends towards snakes and ladders. So we want to have a little bit of this, bit of this in, in games. Now, with something like Terra Mystica, um, there isn't randomness in the game. Like after the setup with the, with the um, pass tiles and the track, after that, there's no more randomness. But mm-hmm. it sort of simulates randomness, and what I'll call it is unpredictability. And the unpredictability is all tied to the other players. Now, are you going to pass now and get off that passing tile? Or are you going to stay in the round a little bit longer? Are you going to take that power action? Or is it going to land at me? And when you wheel one of those power actions, like, you know, you, you, take, it, you take an action, first, first action of the round, you don't take coins, you do something else, and then coins come back around to you. That's the same feeling. That's the same <laughs> yeah. feeling as rolling a six, right? <laughs> yeah, that is, is something that you didn't determine. That is like that unpredictability. I mean, sometimes you could see that no one has power and you might game it a little bit, but, but sometimes it's just, wow, I just got lucky. That just broke favorably for me. <laughs> so there, there isn't randomness in Terra Mystica, but it still has that unpredictability, which is exciting in games. Now, there, there is a cursed side to it as well, is that, or what if it doesn't break your way? And sometimes you need things to break your way to win the game. 
Um, Arena mode, am I right, Super? <laughs> yeah. And um, Walterra also also has that, that king-making type thing, and this this is quite similar for Terra as the, the unpredictability. Um, and, and what I have noticed is, and again, I'm not a very strong Terra Mystica player, but at the highest level, these players are all so good, and they might not take the exact same lines, but they often play really, really clean games. They know what to do in certain situations. They've been there before, and often it can come down to who upgraded next to who in that first round or yeah. who got onto True. that that pass tile that that really, you know, that broke favorably for them, that really made their game. It's these minute differences. And so I, I kind of think that Terra Mystica is a king-making game. It's just in disguise. There there is a lot that um that hinges on your own strategy and your own play. Like there's there's really a lot. And um I think you know the best player would win against a complete newbie nearly probably every time. So there is a point, there is a point where yeah, you you really want to be good, but also the king making yeah, it does come into it. It's just not not quite as obvious. But that's kind yeah. of fun as well. Like you know you you want things to break well for you. It is fun. It's exciting, and sometimes it doesn't fall nicely for you, and that makes you want to improve and play again and and. Um, we can't just we can't just say that Nerdcube is going to win every single game. He'll probably win every game against me, but he's not going to win every single game against Talai or Deep Finesse. You know, they're they're going to take games off each other. And if one of them were slightly better than the other, they would probably win every game at chess. But um, it's not the same for Terra Mystica, which makes right. the, the games exciting to watch. Also, um, well, I thought quite recently actually is. Um... Speaking about the balance and randomness in Terra Mystica, uh, and your ability to predict what other peoples will do, uh, I realized that apart from the first bidding, if we're playing auction, apart from the very first bidding of every single player, the rest is just uh, the matter usually of apart from that unpredictability that you've mentioned. But you you have influence on what's gonna happen. Totally. Uh, in one way or the other. So, it hadn't if you hadn't bid those dwarves so much, you know, or you know when they're starting when they're starting the game, that was actually in the one of the F two O games, one of the finals. Uh, cast one of the casters said, "All right, well, this guy isn't upgrading in the place that everybody expected, probably because he thinks that Fakir's got a good deal, right? And the Fakir's got a good deal in the auction because he didn't bid on them." Right, uh, it goes the other way around, right? So you've got you've got someone unless somebody bids a faction down to zero, uh, I would say that you have almost almost always you have influence over what's gonna more or less happen, right? It's not like mm. it's not like at least uh, at least at that level, it's not like you know one hundred elo player will come and triple hard dig your your hex round one just to just to mess your town. Uh, but other than that, yeah, uh, I would see. I would say that you have at least somewhat uh, you can predict and you can influence with a dose of um, you know good chance what's going to happen right there. Yeah, that's a that's a really great point, and that's probably where some of the skill comes in is you're mitigating this unpredictability. Like there's still right. going to be that unpredictability, but you you start to 
you start to like guess what other players are going to do with with quite a high level of accuracy like if i upgrade my shipping then this person's going to dig that hex that i've got access to or you know if i upgrade next to this player that gives them the power to take coins and maybe maybe i want them to take coins so that i can secure water one you know there's there's that level which um good players will see and they're trying to just always reduce this level of unpredictability and and sort of get in the heads of the other players so that they can uh you know they can do their fulfill all their plans right they can actually get done what they've planned to get done and they're sort of manipulating the table <laughs> to to make sure that they can they can right. do things well and and often i see like someone like deep finesse i think he's absolutely an amazing player and I, i'm not a very good player but when i was watching his games i was like huh how does deep finesse always get what he wants like why is <laughs> right, exactly why is, right. he, why is he always getting these coins and like people are always upgrading next to him and i was like why did what is is he lucky and then i realized that actually no he's he's influenced the table he's manipulating these decisions by all these <laughs> little like you know all these little tricky things he does and sure some of it would be i don't know about luck but you know some of it is luck um but i think he, there's a high level of skill to manipulate other players actions to your own advantage yeah and knowing when you can influence them yeah oh it's great yeah do we have time for one more curse problem can i just say about the the randomness because yeah like terror everyone everyone loves it that it's got no randomness in inverted commas but Oh, we played Undaunted the other week. And when you roll that dice and your little man gets the eight and you get like a headshot from across the map and you take them out, it's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. And similarly, when you're like in the open and they just need like a four or above and it's like an easy shot and your opponent misses it and your like heroic guy has like avoided the shot is so good it's such a good game for that and that's where yeah the dice is brilliant in that game yeah yeah so it's like this as i said earlier it's like this thing that you want in your game it's just you know that putting that in the game is going to create these amazing moments and it's going to create these bad moments but it's this thing that you you love to hate <laughs> and you hate to love <laughs> yeah yeah i think that uh, the game that does it pretty well actually the more i play it i i appreciate it even more uh is castles of castles of burgundy where all all your moves are uh every single every single turn you roll the dice two dice actually and you have a couple of possible moves right have any of you played that the game actually yeah yeah it's a great game yeah yeah so one could say that this whole game is about rolling the dice right but and they could say that it's completely completely random but at the same time, uh, you know, I'm actually a friend of mine argued that uh, that that I introduced uh, him to the Castles of Burgundy, and we played a couple of games, and I won all of them, right, five in a row. Uh, so it's not only the idea of rolling the dice, and you know, those dice determine what actions you can take. They also it's the idea what you're gonna do with them, right? If you you still have choice in that randomness, so the game gives you the randomness but still gives you option at the same time, right? So you can go either left or right or, or straight, but you can go back, for example, right? Yeah, yeah, that's totally right. Yeah, I just wanted to share that. 
Back to the cursed problems. What's the next cursed problem? <laughs> okay, so uh, so yeah, okay. Another another cursed problem is engine building. So engine building, um, I'm going to define it quite like broadly and loosely as um, as a way to basically upgrade your economy. Um, so you. So using Terra Mystica as an example, um, building more and more stuff gets you more and more resources uh, in the, you know, in the, in, at the end of the round of the income phase. And so mm. people love to, to build their engines. People love getting more and more efficient at actions, getting more and more income and all these benefits throughout the game. That's something that's really exciting because it's just, it's just really feel good, right? You you want to improve. You want to get stronger as the game progresses. We love advancing. We love getting more efficient. And so that's exciting. And and what it leads to is this really cool feeling of snowball. Like I get more and more stuff, which I'm going to spend to put into my economy, which is going to get me more stuff. And it sort of has the snowball effect by, by the time we get to round six, we can nearly get out all of our structures. If we've played the game well in Terra Mystica, which is cool. And it's great that it's, it's almost, it's not impossible, but it's almost impossible to get them all out. So I think that's a really, really good sign that they've designed this game super well. Um, so engine, engine building is great. It's something we want to have in our games. Um, I think if a game is uh, any longer than 30 minutes and it doesn't have engine building, I don't want to play it. I don't want to spend, you know, more than 30 minutes playing a game where my first turn is the same as my last turn and I haven't got any more efficient. Like, mm. I think that's, it's okay in a game like, I mean, it's in chess, it's in lots of, lots of games, there's not engine building. But for me, I want to improve. I want to feel like I'm stronger at the end rather than at the start. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think if there are any games where you don't... Yeah, I'm trying to think of an example of a game. Well, chess is like... an example. Um, patchwork, lots of like strategy games. Azul. Um, okay. You know, yeah. pan Pandemic. Um, well, I guess Pandemic slightly when you cure diseases. There's, cure there's lots diseases. of games that, that don't have engine building, sure. but they often yeah. will end, you know, sooner. <laughs> because, yeah, because of what I've mentioned. Yeah, because you're not going to play a game that's longer than 30 minutes. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, what's the, the cursed side is that sometimes your engine doesn't get rolling. It might be due to the unpredictability. It might be due to, you know, other players' decisions, like someone digs a key hex that would have allowed you to place a dwelling and then ship and get another dwelling out, and now you can't do either of those. Um, maybe it's down to your own poor play, but if your engine doesn't get rolling, then all of a sudden you might not actually have a chance of winning the game. And so mm. intrinsically linked to the snowball factor is missing out on the snowball and your chances of victory are diminished. Now we want to have snowball in the game because that's fun. <laughs> And and if we if we were to say okay well um, maybe the player who doesn't snowball they've still got just as likely a chance of winning then what we're saying is well then the snowball doesn't matter well now the engine building doesn't matter at all and you're best to neglect it now 
no one wants to do the thing that's fun and not be rewarded mm. for it and 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 lose the game because they did the thing that's fun or the other yeah. thing we can do is we can um rubber band now rubber banding is also a, a, a cursed problem and rubber banding is saying hey to the players who aren't winning the game is going to help you out we're going to give you some compensation we'll give you some resources or you might have turn priority it's done it's done um in lots of ways in lots of different games but we'll, we'll have some rubber banding now if rubber banding is too strong it means that your early decisions and the way that you you play well at the start of the game is punished because everyone else is rewarded for you doing well and getting ahead. Just yeah, like a blue shell Mario Kart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, how are we going to have engine building in our games? Because we want that. We want players to snowball. We want them to have that excitement, and. F- for it not to like decide the winner round one and there are some games of terra mystica where it's like well i don't have a chance anymore after maybe after like the initial dwelling placements or someone takes the wrong pass tile and all of a sudden oh i I don't feel like i've got a chance anymore now that's not that often (laughs) it's not that often but it can happen and that's just a cursed problem it's it's just flawed you can't you can't remove that side of the coin from engine building now you can do things to diminish it, and I think the, um, I think the Terra Mystica designers did a great job. There's 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 a few things that they did which is really cool. One is that the person who passes first gets to go first in the next round. So the players who are who have a stronger economy, they naturally want they're naturally wanting to stay in the round a little bit longer, right? You know they've got more stuff to do, mm. more resources to burn to invest into their economy. That's fine. Someone else is going to pass first. They're going to get that overpowered, and it is overpowered, <laughs> coin action. Um, and that's going to help their economy, and that's going to stabilize a little bit. Um, but that's, that's a really nice, like, subtle way of doing the rubber banding, isn't it? Like, it's not yeah. a blue shell coming in and, like, blowing up the leader. It's, yeah, like, such a tiny thing that you barely even notice that it's, it is like yeah. a way of kind of a subtle rubber banding. Yeah, it's brilliant. I think they've done a great job. And then you also get, sometimes you want that, you get first pick at the pass tiles. Now, sometimes the, the pass tile you want, someone is holding, and so passing early isn't good. But um, other times, oh, you get onto that big building tile and you get those two workers, and it's as if you had built those two extra dwellings that you didn't build, and now you get the coin action as well. So I think they've done a really good job of trying to reduce the impact of engine building without it feeling inconsequential without you know um mm. being too punished because you still want players to to snowball you still want them to to have to feel like their first round mattered um but yeah so that that is another curse problem that that Terra Mystica has but so many other games have and I'm not saying <laughs> that it ruins the game I'm saying I want it in the game it's just unsolvable it's just an yeah. issue that is there that we often can ignore <laughs> I think Terra also the other good thing about it is like the kind of low footprint strategies that are like sometimes harder to make work make work but you can pull them off like Swarmlings obviously being there textbook example where you don't need to build out and build a big economy but even with other 
factions like Sprocket's really awesome low footprint Auron game in that Fire 2 open thing ages ago. But yeah, you can sort of see your engines not working and like change track into this other strategy. And then that becomes like a whole new way of playing. And yeah, deals, yeah, is a really nice thing to have as well. Yeah, and the other thing is that actually one of the things that really drew me to Terra Mystica was that the points are so elusive. And and so sometimes you can have this absolutely monstrous economy and then you look over and you realize, huh, I've got this amazing economy, but how am I getting points, you know? Yeah. And and so that's really cool because lots of Euro games and pretty much most, they'll just say, do anything you want, which I like. I like the agency. And we, the game, will give you points. And and I think that's cool. But Terra Mystica is like, no, no, no. You have to go searching for those points. And so sometimes yeah. you're deciding, am I building my engine or am I going for points? Sometimes they coincide nicely, you know, with dwelling rushes and things like that. But if it's a round one TP round, um, building all of those trading posts is going to hurt your economy rather than help it. So how many of them are you going to do? Um, I love that Terra Mystica does this because that, that's another way of getting around that curse problem is, yeah, sure, you know, engine building matters and you, you want to boost your economy, but um, you might not get points doing that. So you're going to have to find ways to get points in this game. And, and so sometimes there's like, you know, giants often do it. Some, some other factions do it. They just go points greedy, like, to hell with mm. their economy, you know, I'll, I'll do what I can to get to boost my economy only if it's going to get me points. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I really like that. It's sort of, yeah, I really like that way of thinking about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And hearing that from your point of view, it's really interesting. I love it. Curse problems. It's cool. They're everywhere, as you can see. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like a sort of framework to think about stuff. But yeah, it's also, well, I don't know, I'm waffling now, but it's applicable to other stuff in real life, I guess. There's always trade-offs and you have to think about how you're going to manage them in everything. Yeah, like pizza is one of the nicest foods, but so much, so many calories, right? <laughs> I guess you could, you, could, you could think about lots of things as curse problems. Curse you, pizza. Curse you. <laughs> uh so yeah that's good so yeah i think we've got a good sort of yeah your sort of how you think about terror as a game designer which is what i i wanted to discuss and it's clear how you think about it with that i i guess y you clearly think that terror is a is a good game as a as both a player and a game designer absolutely it is it is my number one game it is my favorite game to play um I think it's a phenomenal feat of game design. Uh, it was designed in 2014, which is modern, but the way that game design has evolved, even in the last seven years, is pretty crazy. Like Games are, just in general, on average, getting better. Um, I know that there are a lot of classics out there, but the classics are the exceptions. <laughs> they're, not, they're not the rule. Um, mm. And... Terra Mystica is one of those exceptions. Terra Mystica is one of those games that holds up and is still better than all games that are coming out nowadays. Um, it's crazy. I mean, the way that the economy works is so, so cool. 
the the little you know you build a dwelling and then to upgrade it to a trading post you actually lose the dwelling that is so clever i wish i had thought of that i mean i wasn't designing games when that came out but it's so so clever because most games it's just like i build stuff and then i keep building stuff but to Mm. to lose something is that trade-off thing again it's like you have to lose something in order to to build up and i think that's clever i think the asymmetry is is awesome and um i think the game is incredibly well balanced for for what it is like there are i don't know was it 14 different factions in the base game um and the fact that you know all of them at certain points see competitive play um with with only you know a a 10 to 20 point swing in auction um Hmm. in a 150 140 point scoring game that is that's phenomenal you know the fact that it still holds up is awesome um i mean i could go on about how great this game is it is my favorite game as a player and i look up to it as a design it's yeah it's ahead of its time for sure um and i think gaia project is also great Uh, i think they did a cool job with that but for me terra mystica just has the fun factor more um i almost like gaia project's mechanisms more like i like the research i think that's really cool there's lots of things i really like about it but what do i enjoy more and it's kind of one of those intangible things i don't know if it's the theme i don't know if it's the ugly art but i enjoy <laughs> terra mystica more i i think it's that interaction between the players that you're all kind of cramped in together and you sort of want them to be next to you and you don't and there's that kind of like that whole ecosystem of upgrading next to one another getting the leech which is really cool and then hoping they don't dig your hexes and and so on and so forth um it's a game that i think is incredibly replayable and holds up well terra mystica have you have you watched the manic pineapple video about terra and trading posts yes yeah, yeah, that, that I, I, I linked it. I, I kind of wanted to talk to him about that at some point because I really think that is a really cool way of thinking. Yeah, the the trading post being the sort of the really awesome piece of game design of, of how it holds the game together in so many different ways and affects so much. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's incredibly subtle. Like just the, it costs three coins if you're next to someone versus six coins if you're not the way that that ties into the power gathering mechanic is so cool changes yeah it just like yeah changes everything and, yeah and now that's like that's not elegant that's an extra rule to add they could have made the game without it and there would have been fewer rules it would have been easier to teach and all of that but it's so necessary it is such a rule worth having it is, it's so mm. good the other thing yeah. i'll say that i loved about terra mystica and i still love about it uh, is this feeling of i haven't mastered it um this feeling of i want to improve i want to get better that that getting better is possible it's not all randomness there are ways that i can improve this pursuit of mastery what i call it the pursuit of mastery in games is something that i love i love to play a game and actually not do that well the first time but to feel that actually if i made some different decisions i could have done better and then it's so so addictive to improve at a game to see your progress and and sometimes with terra mystica 
it feels like you're not improving, but there's just because there's so much to learn and there's so many different scenarios, the way that the, the different factions interact and the way that the past tiles interact with the scoring track and you have to adapt, you know, um, that is one of the yeah. things that absolutely uh, grabbed me and that I was so keen on with Terra Mystica was that improvement was possible and improvement was required for me, for me to enjoy this game more. Which links to what was going to be my last question, actually, was uh, the competitive play element of Terra Mystica. Um, like we have the fire to open tournaments that this podcast is affiliated to. Um, I, I think, yeah, like that sort of show the fact that a game can be, I guess there are games that a lot of games get played competitively, but the fact that there's this big competitive scene and these tournaments that loads of people watch and it's so great does sort of highlight how well designed the game is. Do you think about that? when you are designing a game can you think about that when you're designing a game like would you would you love to have a similar thing happen with a game you've designed or or is it just not something that you can really bake in is it, it yeah yeah i i would love to see that i mean that would be unreal right that if people were playing my games competitively if there was prize money or you know some form of reward for for um players being the best uh, that would be such a cool thing to see and I would watch it and I would enjoy it and that's one of the things I love about Terra Mystica is the fact that there is this competitive scene but it's not just competitive like there's a community around the competitive scene and I love getting in the chat and and talking strategy with people I think talking strategy is something that we've always done like we went out and hunted a deer and then we cooked it over the fire and we were like, yo, did you see that shot that I pulled off? Like, you know, we've just, it's something that's instinctive. It's not just playing the game. It's not just doing the thing, but then it's talking about the thing afterwards, which is so um, exciting. And I love that that's around Terra Mystica. What yeah. I would be afraid of for my games is that it could expose some things. It could, <laughs> like if people were playing at the highest level, it might expose some strategies, which are the strongest. Um, you know, like Terra Mystica, it's probably exposed a few things, but it's held up really well with competitive play. But games can change, like metagames um, yeah. at the highest level can be quite different from from the standard, you know, playing with your friends. And so that's the only thing that, that I would worry about was if the game got stale because Alone, yeah, there is solved. a correct way to play the game. Uh, yeah, and... I actually, I actually don't like that language that sometimes gets thrown around. I, this is just a minor thing, but people will say the correct play was to do this, and um, I'm supposed to do this. And I'm like, for me as a game designer, I would hate if people said, "Oh, the correct thing was to do this, and I was sure. supposed to do that." Over my games, like I want people to, I want people to enjoy expressing themselves creatively and to try out different things. Um, and yes, I want people to try to win, but like I don't want it to just be about winning. Um, I, I I get that it's just language. It doesn't actually doesn't necessarily mean that people think that, but it's just language that's used mm. around it. I can imagine as well that if you if you were setting out to try and make something that would become this competitive thing, you might either deliberately or inadvertently sort of limit your design 
choices as, as in like you would maybe not throw in so much asymmetry or you would like you would try right. and remove all all rubber banding like going back to the cursed problems and and then that would maybe make the design weaker as a as a game as a fun game to play because you've tried to make it this sort of chess like sport sort of thing totally spot on and that brings up another cursed problem which i won't go into but it's <laughs> do you design and balance your game around the first play of the game or around the highest level of the game? And mm. the answer is you want them somewhere in the middle. Um, but I won't get into that. But that is another incredibly interesting cursed problem is like who you are balancing the game for. Because there's yeah. different like, you know, high skill ceiling, low skill floor, high skill floor, low skill ceiling strategies in games. And, and what, what are you going to make the strongest, you know? Ah, uh-huh. so good. I love talking about this this is really interesting i love talking about other games and i love appreciating how good terra mystica is so this has been very fun um super did you have anything else that you wanted to ask or talk about probably a lot of things but i don't want to spend the whole night thinking here i with think we you, could we could certainly do this to. again yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I'd, I, love I'd be happy to come on whenever. <laughs> just, just hanging out. I don't need to. I don't need to be the the focus. I just, you know, it's really cool hanging out with people. That's one of the things that has drawn me to Terra Online was people. You know, um, I said that I don't like solo gaming, um, but I love talking strategy. As you can tell, I love talking about games, and so just starting to get to know some people in the community has been really cool. So. You know, I think we should um, we should all not just us here, but we should do more voice chat games. We should do more getting to know each other. Um, Claybo and Terra Steel have I don't know if it was them that started it, but I'm going to shout out to them. They've done this like two v two thing, Terra Mystica, and I um, I played once with a mate from New Zealand against them, and they 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 demolished us. But it was so <laughs> fun doing a 2v2 game of Terra Mystica because it changes everything. You have to, like, relearn the game. Like, what's strong as an ally, you know? How, how do we play this? Do we feed one team? Like, and I was playing Halflings. Um, my mate was playing Engineers. So I, just, just, I was just digging everything gray for him. He got all of his structures out on the board and two bridges – um, almost got the third bridge, which would have been really cool, like every wooden piece out on the board for engineers. Um, it's just a really fun way to play the game, the 2v2. At first, I thought it was a troll idea. And it, like to be fair, it is a troll idea. But it is quite interesting how it spices up auction, it spices up interaction in the game. So I would recommend more and more people jumping on the 2v2 bandwagon. And maybe even uh, maybe we could do a tournament, Fire Two, Two v Two tournament. Um, if anyone wants someone who's bad at Terra Mystica on their team, I'll, I'll jump in. You know, if anyone <laughs> <laughs> feels <laughs> compassion towards a Kiwi, then uh, you could invite me into your team. <laughs> I I I do. That is one of the things I like about Two v Two, and I haven't played it with my real life mates because we've been busy. But we're all at like different levels, you know. But it gives an opportunity for like the best player to team up with the weakest player, and then you know, and you can then make sort of equal teams. So yeah, that's another sort of um, what's the word way to um, 
equalize different skill levels in a like a competitive game so yeah another interesting thing yeah so i'm just looking forward to that tournament um <clears throat> popping up maybe like maybe i should organize it but <laughs> i don't i shouldn't give work to someone else so <laughs> i don't know like your first board game yeah yeah bullet's great as well that's it's really cool I'm not any good, but I don't know. What is a good... I mean, Danny B seems to win all the time, but what is a good bullet player? Someone who just... They don't even think Terra Mystica. They are Terra Mystica, you know? They feel it in their veins or something. Well, Super Charney won our bullet tournament at the weekend that we had. So he is the current unofficial bullet champion on but the Super Charney exhibition of There was a lot of lack involved in that, so... There's that thing that we've talked oh, about. So here. humble, so humble, super. Congrats, man. That's that's awesome. No, I mean, we 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 played random factions. So uh, in the last game, and I got the best deal, you know, without moving a muscle. So there was that. And you executed your plan brilliantly, and you deserved <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> L- right. Yeah. Um. Thank you very much, Sam. This was a really fun conversation. Rematch yeah. for time. Oh, it was a pleasure. It was great hanging out with you guys. Thanks so much for having me on. Again, I'm just, I'm really stoked that I, uh, the probably the worst Terra Mystica player to ever be on this podcast. And and the thing is, I think I'm going to hold the honor for a while as well. So <laughs> it's great. Uh, cool. Um, I will put links into the various games. Everyone, check out the uh west kingdom series and the circadians and look out for future kickstarter and other announcements uh thanks very much for talking i will speak to you guys soon thank you see you guys later see ya